are there people out there who don't believe? Yeah, sure. But the reason they don't believe isn't because of the evidence. It's because they don't want to believe it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. We are here to challenge you, encourage you, and maybe bring up some new ideas to you. But ultimately, your faith journey is your own. You have to do it. And all we can do is cheer you along and uh, guide you on your journey. But you have Mm -hmm. to put in the work. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host. And we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, welcome, everybody. It's so good to be here. Yeah, growing your faith is uh, is necessary. We all grow. We all end up uh, where what we invest in determines mm. our destination. And what's really interesting is the best decisions, the best growth, the, the most maturity and wisdom comes when you have really good data. You have truth. You have the right frame of reference. You have the tools necessary to evaluate and make really good decisions. You build on that, your life grows, it gets stronger, clearer, cleaner, everything about it. And that's what the Salty Pastor is about. It's trying to help you understand what the Bible teaches. It helps you understand how it's designed for you and your faith, not someone else's faith, so that you can grow deep, wise, courageous, confident, mature. And that is the point. So we are just days away from our resurrection celebration this mm-hmm. Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have nothing going on this week. No, it's very it's chill. a busy, We're busy week. <laughs> We're running around. But we are so excited to be spending two times this week with you guys, our listeners, yes. to just really talk about the whole point of one of the greatest and most significant events in human history. Mm-hmm. Whether people realize it or not, all of human history is organized around this event yes. for two thousand years the church has celebrated this event as the foundation of the faith yes so let's dig into it see why it's the foundation of what we all believe and why we believe it yeah the best place to begin when you study the point and power of the resurrection of jesus christ is first corinthians chapter 15 this is a letter that paul wrote to the corinthian church and corinth was way up as it's uh, in modern day greece you can go to Corinth today and look at the ruins there. It's uh, right there on the isthmus. It's it's really there's a really narrow spot there where Corinth was, and so Corinth was very much at this time in history a very uh, metropolitan city. It was on the major trade route called the Aegean Way uh, or the Appian Way, excuse me, and uh, right there on the Aegean Sea. And so it's really fascinating that it was a cultural, very diverse. It was wealthy, but it was predominantly Roman. Mm. And so the whole presence of Judaism and a large, large Judy, uh, Jewish community just didn't exist. And so all these people come to Christ in Corinth. And the reason why so many people study for the first letter and the second letter to the Corinthians is because Paul is describing to them how to be a church where you have all of these people that have come out of a pagan lifestyle and now they want to be Christians and follow Christ. And how does that work? So uh, this is where we get this incredibly powerful uh, chapter that describes why the resurrection of Jesus was so important. So let me read the first two verses and we'll kind of dig in and go through this and feel free to ask questions as we go. Okay. Verse one, 
Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So he's saying, I shared with you the gospel, which is the message of Jesus Christ. Verse two says, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believe in vain. So you know how we're always saying that uh, Christianity is a truth claim, right? It's not a religion. It's a truth claim. And this is what he's saying. It's like what you believe about the truth is what makes your faith strong and powerful. Or you, if you believe wrongly, the wrong things you believe in vain, it doesn't produce anything that the truth claim says it should. And so what he starts off by reminding them at the very end, this is the last chapter of his first letter to them, is that there's one truth and one truth alone that is the gospel. And so the, this is the message of salvation. And last week we discussed the whole point of salvation, that Jesus saved me from my sins or Jesus died for my sins. And we talked about the whole human condition and who we are as flawed human beings. And we need to be saved. We need to be redeemed. We need to be set free from the bondage of our flaws and our failures and our regrets and disappointments and so forth. So this gospel, this is a truth claim about Jesus Christ has the power to save you. It has the power to redeem you. However, if you believe the wrong things or you have the wrong frame of reference, then what ends up happening is you believe in vain, meaning it doesn't save you. You see, it doesn't have the power to save you. So I think that this is really important to understand when he talks about the gospel, he's talking about a very specific truth claim and he's encouraging them and he's ad- admonishing them. Don't depart from this truth claim because if you depart from it, ultimately your belief, your, your desire to be free, your desire to be saved is, will be in vain. Well, and we see this, I mean, you discuss this, um, at length during your sermon on Sunday about this kind of spiritual rock that Jesus did die, right? Yes. We, we, we see these progressive ideas of Christianity coming up saying, oh, well, God would never have killed Jesus. That's just too mean, yeah. right? Yes. But then, I'm, and I'm assuming you're about to go into this, it's like, well, mm-hmm. if he never died, then the resurrection has no meaning because right. he was never dead in yes. the first place. Yes. So it's like the whole point of our faith, our, 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 our idea and the release from our sins is that he did die for us. He set us free and then he resurrected. So if Mm -hmm. we don't have Jesus dying as a spiritual foundation, then the other part, the whole Easter resurrection celebration doesn't matter because well, he was never dead in the first place, right? Yeah. And I think that's really, really important to understand is that in Islam, they specifically claim that Jesus was a prophet, that he was Mm -hmm. a prophet of God, but they also say that he did not die on the cross. So he didn't die for you or for your sins. And this is very important in in Hinduism. They don't believe that Jesus existed in a lot of ways. 
uh, in today in modern day paganism and modern day scientific materialism, atheism, agnosticism, secular humanism. You know, I call these the isms. Yes. Because they always put ism at the back end of all of these things. They don't they don't believe that Jesus died for anything. He just died. Right. Right. And so we talked about that last week. And if you read verse three and uh, all the way up through verse eight, you see something that it's not only that Jesus is the gospel, but notice what he says next for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So he says, this is what I, this is the truth claim. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, why he's saying that is he's referencing the old Testament scriptures, particularly the book of Isaiah that prophesied that the Messiah would die and that the, that the Messiah would be raised three days later. So he's referencing the scriptural prophetic statements about this. And so he says, I received this. And this is the first most important thing. This is it. This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Boom. That's what he did it. Number two, he was buried in the grave. So it wasn't a fake death or a coma or being passed out. He was dead, dead. Mm. And then he was put in the grave. Then three days later, he raised from the dead. After he raised from the dead, verse five says, then he appeared to Cephas. And this is the, the uh, term of endearment used for Peter, the apostle. And we see this term being used in the book of uh, Galatians. We see it throughout other places where he was called Cephas. And the person who called him Cephas the most was the apostle Paul. Okay. So he says he's also known as Peter. Uh, prior to that, his name was Simon. And so it's really interesting. He says, so he appears to Cephas then he appears to the 12. So the other disciples, all of them as a group, verse six, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. So he's saying, we don't have 500 individuals saying, Hey, I saw him in the back alley somewhere. They saw him all at once. So it's like, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. Did you see that? Yes, I did. Right. So 500 people witnessed him at once. He goes, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Verse seven, meaning they've died. Verse seven, then he appeared to James. Okay. So that would be James, his half, the half brother of Jesus. And he was the elder lead pastor at the church of Jerusalem. Then to all the apostles and last of all, he appeared to me also. Now this is really interesting because in verse seven, this is one of the times where the term apostle doesn't refer to the office of the 12 apostles, right? He says he appeared to the 12 up there in verse five. And then it says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And you'll notice uh, in most translations, they don't capitalize that word because he's not mm -hmm. trying to refer to the 12 who held the, apo the apostolic office because they didn't replace that office once those uh, apostles died. But the word apostle means one sent out. So this would include uh, Silas. It would include Barnabas. It would include anybody sent out you know, as right. an evangelist to preach the gospel. So, and then he goes, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. 
And so it's really fascinating here. What he says is, look, the truth is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the truth. That's the foundation of the church. That's the rock of the church, that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. People who choose not to believe it today uh, are choosing not to believe it. Because when you go back and you look at the evidence of his resurrection, it's overwhelming. As a matter of fact, it's really fascinating. But uh, today, if you go to Harvard Law, you're considered to be one of the greatest lawyers ever, you know. Right. And, and so there was a guy who was a Harvard lawyer who wrote the book on evidence, all right? And this is how you can admit evidence into court and what's good evidence and what's bad evidence and so forth. And so he, he was a Christian. He was a really strong Christian, and he wrote about that. And he also said, look, if anybody can, he goes, if anybody can challenge the veracity of the resurrection account, in the gospel, in the court of law, and when I'll pay him $50,000. And this was 60 years ago, 70 years ago, and no one's ever taken him up on that. No lawyer's (laughs) ever taken up on that. And the reason why is because when you look at the eyewitness testimony, it's just overwhelming. And people have written extensively on this. So what that tells me is that, are there people out there who don't believe? Yeah, sure. But the reason they don't believe isn't because of the evidence it's because they don't want to believe it. They're making a choice. They're to making not a to. choice. I mean, I think it's, I mean, we see just in this one, what is this? Four, yeah. four, five verses. verses. Yeah. Four or five verses. Yeah. There's all of these people that witnessed him. And, in, and like you said, I think it's important that it's not just like, oh, well, he only appeared to the 12. So it's like only right. the 12 are saying, Same, you know, yeah. propagating that he was yes. back or he, you know, it's only random cuckoos in a back alleyway saying, Oh, I definitely saw him. I saw it too. Right. When did you see him? Well, I saw him when I was up in the mountains by myself. Yes. (laughs) And it's like, so it's like, there's all of these different types and sizes of eyewitness testimonies saying, Hey, we saw him in these different contexts Mm -hmm. in the, in these different times. And they all had an experience. And so it's like, there was, there's just, you can't even argue with that. It's like, the, to coordinate that many people yeah. stories and get them all aligned. I mean, you can barely get two people to lie the same lie yeah. together. So to get, you know, 550 or however, or yeah. whatever people yeah. to all agree on the same yeah. thing happening is unheard of. It's unheard of. And guess what? Most of those people died because of it. They were crucified because of it. You'd think after a while, these people were getting arrested. Like Paul, he went around, arrested them, destroyed their businesses. Somebody go, oh, I was just kidding. I didn't see it. You know, they would recant, but nobody recanted. You know, it's like, I can't recant what I saw with my own eyes. I saw it. Yes. And so that, that's really powerful, powerful Mm. evidence. And, and it's evidence of the truth claim. You see? He, and none of those people came back and said, I, we saw it and he told us that we now need to eat this porridge three times a day and wear these types of shoes everywhere we go. That's not what they did. They just, all they did is proclaim, we saw Christ crucified, buried and raised from the dead. So it goes back to the truth claim every single time. And look what happens in verse 12. Verse 12 says, But if it is preached, now we get to the underlying cause of why he wrote this letter and this chapter in particular. He goes, if it is preached that Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead. No, I'm saying if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, let me read this properly. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
So what, what was going on here is this, is that in the early church, what happened is a lot of people, particularly Jewish people, believed that since Jesus was the Messiah, it was just a fulfillment of Judaism. And so early on in Christianity, after Paul went out and started leading people to Christ, you had a bunch of other Jewish people come behind and say, okay, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be Jewish as well. And so they were imposing Judaism on people. And so a lot of people were like, okay, I'm in. And then they were like, no. And then the very first meeting of the leadership of the church, the first church council in Acts chapter 15, they come together and go, yeah, we're not going to impose that on new believers and Gentiles. You don't have to be Jewish. Okay. So they realized, okay, Christ came to save all once for all. And that's really important to understand. And then what happened after that is that there were people who, uh, a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees and other people who came out of Judaism that had accepted Christianity. And so what they were doing, Sadducees were uh, half of the Sanhedrin and they believed in no resurrection of the dead. So there was no afterlife for them at all. And so what's happened is that had filtered into these new churches filled with new Christians who were not Jewish in background. And so some of these guys came through Corinth and they said, look, guess what? There is no resurrection of the dead. And so Paul is saying, wait a second. Our entire faith is based on Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. So how can somebody say there is no resurrection of the dead? Doesn't make any sense. Verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. And this is a powerful, powerful statement because first of all, he says, if there is no resurrection, there is no redemption, second chances, no healing, no restoration, no eternity, no life after death. There's no life here. There's no reason to live any certain way. If there's nothing after life uh, on on earth, there's no hope, there's no meaning, there's no purpose. We're completely directionless in life. And earlier on, he says, you know, you know, people who believe this, you know, let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You know, in other words, it's irrelevant how you live. But the other thing that's really, really important is he says, look, everyone has faith, but if you believe the wrong things, your faith is useless. You know, that's what's really fascinating is we can put our faith in the wrong things and then that faith becomes useless. So it's really interesting to me that faith is not an irrational belief at all that a lot of atheists want to try to uh, make this binary choice, say, well, mm. we're reasonable and then faith is defined as irrational belief. But that's not what it is. Faith is a culmination of wisdom. It's like I, I rationally and reason out all of the things about my life and about the logic and the philosophy. And I realize that in reality, it's atheism that is bereft of any, you know, logical consistency to it. And because of that, there has to be something else. And because there's something else, I realize it's not just, I'm going to put my faith in something empty. I'm going to put my faith in the truth. And Paul says over and over and over again, the truth is, is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised the third 
day. And so it's really interesting that the gospel over and over again is not about a new religion. It's about a claim of truth and ultimate reality. And I think that's really powerful when it comes to redemption. Well, and just taking the the same logic we talked about earlier, where it's like, okay, if there was no death, then there is no resur- there's no point to the resurrection because he Correct. was never dead, right? Yeah. But then if we say, okay, there was no resurrection, mm-hmm. then the whole point of the resurrection, the whole point of our faith is, is like you said, useless. Like there's no redemption from sins because if he never died and came right. back, then we're still stuck, stuck in the same place we were before he came. And yes. so it's like, we're just sitting here waiting for the grand divine judgment where God says, poof. Yeah. Like, and, and it's a much power, much more powerful spiritual thing because the Sadducees, were of the notion that, look, there's no afterlife, there's no eternity. And so the reason you follow the law, right, is so that your life here on earth is good. God will give you a good time here on earth. So, but what that does is that becomes pure pragmatism. And so anybody who's a reasonable person will say, okay, well, if I follow this rule, what is the benefit? And if I don't follow this rule, what is the benefit? So what you do is you make a cost benefit analysis, right? Right. And, and so you, you devolve or degrade or lower yourself into just pure pragmatism. And unfortunately, since human beings tend to be short sighted, pragmatism always takes the short road. Mm. You know, it, it doesn't really like upstream thinking at all. It thinks only downstream right now. And, and what it does is it enhances the selfishness of the human heart and envy so that it's what I want. That's why ultimately pragmatism is a philosophical structure is meaningless. That's why atheism is meaningless. And as uh, Zach always says, it always devolves. It always results in nihilism, which is that there is no point to life whatsoever. Mm. There is no morality. There is no love. There's no nothing. It's absolutely nothing. And so the result is, is that if there is no resurrection, and this is what Paul is saying over and over again, and it's just like you stated, is that there's no power then for redemption. There's no power for uh, becoming a better person. There's no power for power in pursuing the virtues. There's no such thing as reaping what you sow, that you can make the world a better place, that your decisions matter, that, man, I want to make good decisions for my family because it matters. If I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out the best way to invest in my marriage so that Mm. I'm happier in my marriage because it matters. Well, if there's no resurrection, then that doesn't matter. Ultimately, um, what I'm doing is I'm streamlining causal distinctions, but the logic is is, is math. It's pure math and it's unavoidable. And that is without the resurrection, there is no hope. There is no redemption. There's no second chances. There's no forgiveness. There's no restoration. There's no freedom from sin. We are deterministic animals who have no freedom of choice, no free will. And we ultimately end up as worm food so that no matter what you do, what you say makes any lasting effect that's hopeful, positive, or loving in the world in which you live. Mm. that's a joy without the resurrection, isn't it? Yep. That sounds super fun. Super fun. Really into that lifestyle. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me keep going on verse 15 and see what he says. Okay. He goes more than this. So he extends his argument. Now he says, look, if Christ, 
if, if our, the entire foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus in verse 12, and if you don't believe this, then what you believe is in vain. Look at verse 15. He goes, now more than that, we are then found to be liars. We are false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Jesus from the dead. So he's saying, look, we're lying about God. He goes on to say this. He did not, he goes, but if God did not raise Jesus from the dead, if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So what he's saying is that what the truth claim they're making is a lie. It's false because it makes no sense. Verse 17. Now, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. See, and and that's really, I think the really most powerful teaching in this passage is that our faith is incapable of opening us up to the grace and redemptive act of God in our lives. We are forever cut off. We are stuck. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ Jesus, they are completely lost. If only for this life, we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. And so what he's saying is that this is this notion that there is no resurrection from the dead, that Christ didn't raise from the dead, takes all the power out of God's capacity to forgive your sins. Now today it's really interesting. There's, there's this movement out there that a lot of people on college campuses are coming up and they're saying, well, I don't believe in God, that God's not loving because why didn't he just create a system where he could forgive sins without Jesus dying on the cross? And so a lot of people, you know, a lot of guys and gals sit around, you know, vaping late at night, smoking a doobie or two, talking about how awesome this notion is, you know, wow. Yeah. God, if he's God and all powerful, you know, he could just create a system where you don't have to die to forgive sins. And you're like, okay, think about that. Just think about that for a second. Yeah, he could create a system where you can't think for yourself. He can create a system where you have no freedom of choice. He could take that you're determined. He could have created a system where you're not sentient, that you don't have a soul, right? But you'd be a plant. And I know in your dorm room right now, you're acting like a potted plant (laughs) because you can't think more than an inch deep. And yet you think you're so esoteric and deep, but you're not. You're shallower than a mud puddle on the sidewalk because you don't really think about the ramifications ultimately of your postulates. And if you really want to be a person that thinks they're rational, you've got to say, what is the natural conclusion of these things that I'm stating? What I'm actually stating in my dorm room, thinking I'm so erudite, is that I want to be right because I want to be right. But the very notion that you can think that you're right means you're sentient and you're denying the very foundation of where your capacity to even consider whether you're right or not comes from. And so it just seems such, such the logic of it is there is none and it's so crazy. And so these people are saying God would create, no, God created a system in which you 
We're a sentient human being with freedom of choice and a soul. And that means, my friends, that you get to think that you're right even when you're wrong. That's the notion of freedom of choice. However, you also might consider this. You, because you have a soul, you're accountable. You, you're going to have to stand before the creator of the universe and say, in my sentience, my sovereignty, my ability to make a choice, I didn't think five minutes past the stupidity of what I came up with. I was smoking weed in my dorm room and sorry, that's salty, but it's the truth. Um, and I didn't think past that. And now I have to be held accountable. Absolutely. You do. And what you're held accountable is you're being held accountable for what you believed and whether what you believed was futile or whether you were willing to ask yourself the hard questions and evaluate yourself deeply and to really struggle with who you really are and what this reality in which you exist actually means and is structured. And what you will find is that every human soul believes in a right and a wrong. We are at our core moral creatures. This isn't a result of biological evolution over time. There's no such thing as a, as a moral code that came out of a biological, psychological, evolutionary process. Even though people are attempting to do that today, they cannot. And the person who's written about this and shows the illogical aspects of this is Plattinga. He's a philosophy professor out of Notre Dame. And he wrote a book called The Question That Really Matters, and he delves into this. But suffice it to say that we are moral creatures, therefore we're creatures of faith. And our choice of the faith is what makes our faith futile, in vain, or the power to set us free and become who we were meant to become. That's why the resurrection is so important. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for sharing all those thoughts with us this week. Um, we're excited to be celebrating Resurrection Sunday here at Foothills. We hope that you guys, as our listeners, will join us either on campus. Um, we've got three services at 9, 10, 15, and 11.30. Or we'll have uh, upwards of seven online services, um, some that overlap with the on-campus on services, and a lot of them in the afternoon and evening. So we hope that in one way or another, you're making a plan for how you're celebrating Resurrection Sunday, mm -hmm. whether you're joining us or joining someone else. But we hope that you've made a plan so that you can celebrate this truth claim yes. that Jesus died for you to set you free from your sins so that you can be redeemed. And mm -hmm. that is so, so important to be celebrating because it's such a powerful, powerful truth in our lives. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you on Thursday yes. here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Celebrate the resurrection. Blessings. Blessings.